The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to another episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Wednesday night, September 14th, 2022, as we record a new episode of the show. Well... We said on Monday that the White Sox needed to sweep the Rockies to keep pace with the Cleveland Guardians, maybe hoping that the Los Angeles Angels could win a game or two in Cleveland and help out the White Sox. Well, the White Sox didn't sweep the Rockies, and the Guardians are doing that annoying thing again where they come up with huge clutch hits late in games, like Jose Ramirez hitting the go-ahead home run in the eighth inning Wednesday afternoon. So the White Sox are now 73-70, and 70, and they've dropped four games back at Cleveland in the American League Central standings because the Guardians have now won six straight games and eight of their last 10 games. The Guardians are now on pace to win 87 games in 2022, so the bar is rising for the White Sox to catch up. They still can, as they have four games remaining against the Guardians, with one of those games on Thursday afternoon. If the White Sox can sweep the Guardians, we got ourselves a race. If the Guardians win just one of these games, they will control the tiebreaker against the White Sox and, well, things get a lot tougher for the White Sox. It's a crucial game on Thursday with so much riding on the line, which is why we are still talking about Tony La Russa. Wait, maybe I'm misreading my notes for Monday? No, no, people are still talking about Tony La Russa. All right, let's talk about what the rest of the baseball world is saying about Larusa first. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, and hello, Jim. We sure learned a lot about the White Sox and Larusa the last couple of days. We did and we didn't. I think we can say we learned. Uh, I think we learned a lot more. Or I should say, I, there are a lot more lines we can read between. Uh, in terms of like outright information, uh, explicit details and uh, orders and a well-laid path with very direct uh, imperatives for everybody pertaining to the managerial position, not so much. But 
thanks to Ken Rosenthal and Bob Nightingale, between the two of them, uh, I think we have a fuller picture that Rick Hahn, even though he did actually have a press conference this time through Zoom, was not able to provide himself. Yeah, here's the cliff notes. If you didn't read either of the articles or if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, from Bob Nightingale's piece from USA Today, the highlights. Tony La Russa had a pacemaker installed during spring training. That was news. It started to malfunction. That's why he had to go back to Arizona, and doctors ordered him to stay away from White Sox games while recovering. La Russa didn't listen. He was still watching the White Sox while in Arizona. Then he got clearance to join the ceremony for Dave Stewart in Oakland and fly back to Chicago with a team. As Jim mentioned, Rick Hahn had a press conference on Zoom because he has COVID now, and he told reporters there will be a conversation about LaRusse's status in 2023 after the season once they get more clarity on LaRusse's health. Hahn doesn't have that clarity now, so he's saying it's too soon to know which direction the White Sox will go with LaRusse. Rosenthal writes an open letter in The Athletic asking Tony LaRusse to step down, highlights some issues within the coaching staff with them working with LaRusse. And one of the most eye-opening paragraphs in the open letter is, quote, your relationship with coaches was another issue. Most staffs today are highly collaborative. Your styles for far more autonomous. Some coaches were okay with that, I'm told. Others were not. Your emphasis on hits and contact ran counter to the hitting coach's goals for achieving power through patience. Those are the highlights. Jim, for my sanity, I need LaRussa to go away. Please tell me that now having the baseball world weigh in and making this a national story will get to LaRussa and we will have this matter settled once and for all. I wish I could. I think damn it, that's Jim. going to happen. Yeah, damn it, Jim. Uh, no, I, I wish I could. I can't for sure. It does seem like there's a lot of track being laid for that, but, you know, the, the thing that gets me, or, or I guess, you know, it gets me, but it also, I think, just keeps me from, you know, going all in and, you know, putting any kind of significant uh, capital on that outcome is that, like, this is the out that they could use right now. They could say, heart procedure, have the uh, pacemaker put in, too much stress between that and... You know, yeah, my general well-being and also like the team doesn't need the distraction of me being both in or out. And even if I'm in, whether they'll knock me out because of stress related to my heart condition, uh, th- that would be a very, uh, you know, maybe not a, the, the most graceful time in terms of just, you know, what the White Sox had in mind and what everybody's goals were entering the season and what, you know, the whole idea of bringing La Russa in against, you know, basically everybody's wishes was supposed to do. But it would be like an understandable conclusion that would save some face because it wouldn't be a firing you know and and it's funny i think it was as rec mentioned like aaron boone when he had a pacemaker put in that was public knowledge that was he had to take a few days away from the yankees and uh have that uh, procedure done and he came back and he talked about it and that's just now a a way of life for the yankees and aaron boone but the white Sox they don't make that uh clear they don't even talk about it after the fact and Rick Hahn's talking about, like, oh, I can't disclose details due to privacy. I'm like, somebody's talking to Bob Nightingale, whether it's LaRusso, whether it's LaRusso's friends, whether it's Jerry Reinsdorf. Um, you know, they're all talking to Bob Nightingale and talking about the 
uh, you know, issue. Like even Larusa talked to an AP reporter on the West Coast, uh, Janie McCauley, talking about how he had a heart procedure. Just like you know, people are talking. Uh, the White Sox can, and even if they can't, they can at least you know talk about the severity of it, even if they don't get into details. They can't say significant procedure or significant you know condition, whatever, what you know, what have you. But it would be like just a way for everybody to say like this didn't work or it can't work. Maybe it could have. Maybe there was one more miracle left in the tank and we'll just never get a, a chance to see it. And that's a shame. But for the time being, we have to put our full faith and credit behind Miguel Cairo, who we think is fully capable. Like there's none of that. And so, you know, we're hearing a lot about Cairo uh, through the um, you know, Bob Nightingale story, through the Rosenthal story, through people around the team, through the players, what Cairo said to them, apparently uh, getting their ear and getting in their face in a way that uh, LaRusa never did. And uh, that's kind of what we have to go off of in terms of just how, you know, who is Miguel Cairo? Because we don't really know, because it has been very much a LaRusa-led administration. It's just, if they didn't take this exit ramp now, and they're going to let it go into the winter, like, it's still on the table. It, yeah, for me, and, and with the way... Reinsdorf operates in his complete unwillingness to get to know anybody he doesn't already know. Um, you know, it's it's still there until it isn't. Like, you know, basically, it's any horror movie. You have to make sure he's dead. You can't turn your back and, and think he's, uh, you know, it just, you know, I shouldn't say he, you know, just because that sounds morbid. But just say, like, you know, this whole situation. Uh, you just have to make sure, like, it's, you know, double check. <laughs> make sure that, uh, you know, you can, you can move on with your lives because, you know, if you see the... Uh, the one I opened uh, on the managerial situation, mind you, um, we're, we're, yeah, we're in for it again. This is so stupid. I, I'm sorry. This whole situation is incredibly dumb. And you're right. This is going to continue all the way into the winter. We're going to have Sox Machine offseason plan projects where we are not going to know, based on the teams that White Sox fans are building for the offseason, who is managing the team? Because no one wants to make a decision or they have made the decision and the decision is totally up to Tony the Russa, who is 78 years old and clearly has heart issues. What are we doing here? And also he's not good. Yeah, he's not even good at his job. Right. The team is underachieving yeah. and we're going to spend more time talking about them underachieving Again, even under Miguel Cairo here in their series against the Colorado Rockies, not everything is awesome under Miguel Cairo. Things are a lot better. They have been playing a lot better baseball. They had a hiccup, an unfortunate hiccup on Wednesday. As many White Sox fans on Twitter claim that they control their own destiny, they really do not. They are going to need help from somebody to beat Cleveland who has suddenly decided we're not losing. <laughs> and that makes pro that creates even more problems for the White Sox and really cuts down on the margin of error for this franchise. And here we are. We got to talk about Tony La Russa again because now he is a national story for Major League Baseball. You turn on MLB Network and they're going to be talking about Tony La Russa in the morning. All throughout Chicago, they're going to be talking about Tony La Russa. He said he didn't want to be a distraction, Jim. Well, guess what? He is by far the biggest distraction for the Chicago White Sox since Adam LaRoche retiring and Chris Sale cutting up the uniforms. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Um, well, I would say even like Robin Ventura's last month, last week, et cetera. Like that was a, uh, 
Yeah, but I, I do think Larusa trumps that just because the White Sox weren't theoretically playing for anything in uh, Ventura's last month. We just wanted to be done with it. But it's the same situation in which the, nobody is empowered to make a decision that might upset Jerry Reinsdorf. So everybody has to uh, wait until it's uh, you know crashes into the ground and it is done smoldering. And that's not a great position for uh, fans to be in who would just want to see something. And and. Uh, I did appreciate Frank Medicino's quotes or, you know, quotes that you could probably, you know, draw back to Frank Medicino, even though he wasn't named. <laughs> Just like, uh, yeah, we really want to hit with uh, patience and power, but we have to settle for the opposite field contact and, and, and chasing out the zone. I'm like, no, nah, it's, yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it's a nice, like, uh, last ditch effort, I think, for Frank Medicino to, like, say, like, you know, I'm preventing, uh, he's preventing me from letting me spread my wings and soar, which is, probably not the case it's a flawed roster and, and he's not working miracles here but uh, I, I laughed at that a little bit just thinking like yeah it's it's a little bit too transparent Frank just uh yeah maybe maybe rain in a little bit <laughs> and uh but yeah it's uh that was a little bit of actual levity in the story because yeah he's probably not gonna, not gonna be coming back either like there's no reason to keep him around unless there's just really no way to find a hitting coach who will work for Tony La Russa and you know, 2023, if he has his reputation of not listening to coaches and overriding their preferences and what they're trying to teach and what the what they've been tasked by the front office to implement. Is Larusa traveling with the team to Cleveland and Detroit this weekend? I don't think so. It sounded like uh, Han said that he's just going to be in around the park for the next couple of days. And then what? Well, yeah, I guess you could say like, yeah, I I, I led. I should say, I assumed that that meant that it was only the couple days, but you can't be sure. There's going to be a camera shot, isn't there, in Cleveland, with Tony in the stands, <laughs> watching the game. Oh. It would have to. It would probably have to be on, uh, was it Balance yeah. Sports Ohio? Cleveland will pick it up. Uh, I imagine that, yeah, I imagine NBC Sports Chicago is, is prohibited from any Tony LaRusic content, really, visual. You didn't want to be a distraction, Jim. Remember that. Tony LaRusa did not want to be a distraction. Nothing to see here. Please disperse. <sighs> All right. Let's talk about the White Sox, the players that are on the field that matter the most and trying to produce positive results. So they have the two game series against the Colorado Rockies. Game one, start off great. Aloy Jimenez hit a three run homer in the first inning. Jose Abreu hit his first home run. Since August 3rd, a 37-game home run drought finally snapped, and the White Sox won 4-2. In Game 2, Dylan Cease is on the mound. There's a lefty on the mound for Colorado. The White Sox are sweeping this. Well, Dylan Cease was not great. He only lasted five innings. He did have eight strikeouts, but he allowed some runs. And the White Sox offense goes 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. And the Rockies win 3 to nothing. The Rockies shut out the White Sox at home. And Jim, the question that I have, because all afternoon I missed this game as we had uh, wedding planning events. We toured the wedding venue, walked through as far as the procedure, tried to get the lay of the land. Then we had another tasting with catering. So I was very busy. So I did not get a chance to watch much of this game at all. How bad was it for the White Sox offense? Like how bad did it look going 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position? It was 
pretty much as bad as that sounds. I would say like the one thing that, um, you know, is unfortunate versus like the, you know, entirely the White Sox fault is that Sevi Zavala did hit a deep drive that was caught against the wall in left field against the foul pole. It would have been a 3-2 game had it traveled three more feet. And, you know, we'd be talking about the game rather differently had that happened. So it wasn't like a complete loss. It wasn't like they were, you know, completely, um, you know, in over their heads. But, you know, it's just we're seeing uh, a combination of the White Sox are still a flawed team. Like, even though Miguel Cairo is in charge and things have looked better, uh, there are still some fundamental problems with the construction. There are some fundamental problems with how healthy some players are. Like, you know, Luis Robert swinging the bat with two hands, which is an improvement, but also just not looking comfortable, not looking like he's capable of pulling the ball. It looks like it's all just kind of the, the barrel is slow going through and pointed towards the right field foul line. And if he can dink a single to right, um, you know, that's basically the what kind of hits he's going to get. And I think, you know, Mike Petriello was talking about the Angels and David Fletcher having a hand problem and talking about him bunting five times, uh, five consecutive plate appearances and thinking like maybe Robert should do the same thing. Just he's fast enough to where like, Put it back to the pitcher and see if, especially if they have a scouting report that says the pitcher is kind of dicey on throws to first. Like, may as well try that at this point because the swings are doing, you know, nobody in good. Bunt, strike one, bite, bunt strike two, bunt strike three. Like, just right now, that's probably more successful than a lot of his swings, even though he did have, like, a flare single to right. Um, then you also have, like, Aloy Jimenez, who, you know, as you mentioned, is, you know, hitting for power and had the home in the first thing. He had a wall ball, but... The wall ball was a single because he couldn't leg it into a double, and he also, you know, couldn't leg out a bouncer to second. That would have been an infield single had he been healthy. So, like, you know, there are cases where you have AJ Pollock hitting the ball the left side in the ground with runners on double plays. You know, he struck out a couple times. You have, um, you know, just the the White Sox chasing into bad situations, um, and and that's something that's in their DNA. And then you have these injuries that are a very, you know, recent trend, but a, a troubling one and persistent and one that can't be ignored, you know, also playing a factor. And just, you know, the fact that, you know, in other situations, other months, you know, uh, mid-August, this might have been just like a humdrum, well, that was unfortunate. Kyle Freeland just might, you know, last time, the only other time he faced the White Sox, he threw a, a no-hitter through eight and a third. So maybe he just has the stuff the White Sox can't hit and he just shrug it off. But just this being very... Delicate time for the White Sox. Uh, it's now just another referendum on everything they do wrong. And, you know, it's given that they've spent the first five months doing a lot of things wrong. You know, it's it doesn't feel misplaced or outsized, but this is where they are. Yeah, with the loss, my preseason prediction of the White Sox going 93 and 69 is over, Jim. Mm, yeah. It's over. I haven't thought of mine just because I was like, oh, are they going to even get to you know 81? And <laughs> well, you had 92 and 70 Yep. on that point, the over under preseason for wins for the white Sox from the sports books was 91 and a half wins. The white Sox can still hit the over. They have 19 games left. All they got to do, Jim is go 19 and zero. listen, I saw this documentary. It was called Moneyball, and that team won 20 straight games. So it could totally happen for the White Sox. They could totally win 19 straight games to finish the season and go 92 and 70, Jim. You gotta believe. That's what uh, that's what Hawk is saying. He's like, I've always liked Moneyball. I've always <laughs> thought it's very important to listen to and absorb the lessons from, and uh, we need to believe. <laughs> 
wasn't that wasn't there a whole ordeal on Twitter about game one and uh, speaking of Moneyball and Saber Metrics and the NBC Sports Chicago post game show? Or maybe I'm just misreading or getting tweets out of out of order. I I don't know. I can't see the post game show because of uh, yeah, MLB TV and also Isaac ah, and me. So can't see no, for sure. It, it was yesterday because Makata laid down the bunt in the first inning. Mm. And there were some that liked the bunt. I was kind of thrown off, but maybe Makata saw something in the infield to draw to drop down the bunt and try to beat it out for a hit. But it did look like a sacrifice bunt. I think some people liked it. It's odd. You, no, you should not be bunting the first inning. And in his next at bat, Yohan Makata almost hit a home run. And for those that don't know, I have season tickets in section 108, which is right at the right field uh, foul pole. And on that foul ball by Yohan Makata that at the last minute went foul instead of being a home run, it hit a White Sox fan directly in the shoulder. And watching this, I had to go over Jim and just ask, like, are you okay? Are you seriously okay? That was it with an exit velocity of greater than 100 miles an hour. You just caught it on the shoulder. And they're like, yeah, I'm good. (laughs) Was the fan aware? Yes, they tried to catch it. It Okay. Okay. I was making sure, like, it wasn't just uh, kind of ducking or, you know, glanced or couldn't track it. Like, say, say, hey, watch out and couldn't looked up and got nailed in the shoulder or something. No, it took it right off the shoulder, didn't need any medical help, stayed in their seat for the rest of the game, no problem. That was section that 109, one, right? Yeah, section yeah. 109. Yeah, is where sliced they got over, hit. yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, that's the first time I've seen it since the nets have gone up, where someone has taken a, a line drive directly like that. And, yeah. I just, I hope they're still okay. If you're a Sox Machine podcast listener and you took a Yohan Mikata foul ball off the shoulder, I hope you are doing okay. And hopefully the White Sox do a lot better than okay in this upcoming week, especially on Thursday, as Jim and I will take a quick break. But coming up next, we'll preview the White Sox big game against the Cleveland Guardians. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Jim and I will now preview the next four games for the White Sox. As first, they have a visit to Cleveland to make up one of the games that got rained out earlier this season. It's the last game for the White Sox in Cleveland. And again, if the White Sox lose this game, the Guardians will have the tiebreaker. First pitch is going to be Thursday at 12.10 p.m. Central Time. Lance Lynn is making this start, not Lucas Giolito, as we talked about on Monday Sox Machine Podcast pondering the possibility of maybe pushing Dylan Cease back a day. Instead, Miguel Cairo pushed Lucas Giolito back a day and brought Lance Lynn to Thursday to start against the Guardians. Starting for the Guardians was supposed to be Tristan McKenzie, but Terry Francona pushed Tristan McKenzie back a day, and he's having rookie righty Hunter Gaddis make the start. Now, Gaddis doesn't have a lot of major league experience, his four-seamer averages around 93 miles per hour. He's got a change-up, a cutter, and a curveball. So the White Sox offense, Jim, after we talked about Colorado and them going 0-11 for 11 with runners in scoring position, I, I think that they can do the same thing and put some pressure on Gaddis and get a lot of guys on base, but they have to capitalize. And they've got to hit Gaddis often and early to really pad a lead, and hopefully they don't have to see the best of the Guardians' bullpen arms. <laughs> They're going to say, like, I think they can do what they did and go 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. I believe they, in them. They absolutely <laughs> can do that, yes. Yeah, I thought that's where we are going with that, and I would agree. Uh, this does feel... <laughs> um, well, one, I think this is a, a, a must-win. Um, and I've, I've been, you know, as, as you know, and probably many listeners know, I'm very reluctant to use that term because... Uh, if you use like must win, if you use up your uh, allowance of that, so all of a sudden, like, you know, by July, uh, you might have to rule them out no matter what the standings say because they, they lost again, they must have won. But in this case, just, you know, I, I think there are a couple reasons. One is that, you know, if they lose, the tiebreaker goes to the Guardians and a five game lead effectively comes a six game lead. You have to add a game to the standings because if a tie doesn't mean anything for the White Sox anymore. The other is that Hunter Gaddis is starting. Like, Terry Francona is. Not punting the game necessarily, um, but, you know, because just because I think the White Sox are a flawed enough team to where, like, any right-hand starter might give the White Sox fits and, on a particular day. So, like, it's it's a calculated gamble, and it might work in his favor. And if even if it doesn't, it might, you know, kind of save an arm that he wanted to buy a little bit more time for. It might be useful in that way. But it becomes a must-win just because, like, if, if you don't win a game where Lance Lynn is starting against Hunter Gaddis... Um, yeah, it's just that's that's you have to win this kind of game. Like you, you're you're supposed to win the Dylan C start, like the Dylan C start against Colorado. That was a 
God, I really hope they win, but it wasn't a must win just because like the White Sox can still theoretically control their destinies to a certain extent by beating Cleveland here. Uh, but if they don't, then yeah, it just it's you're counting on Cleveland losses. Uh, three wins in the final three games might not mean anything against Cleveland. So this at least buys them time from another uh, buys them time for another must-win scenario down the line if they are able to take this one. Unfortunately, the timing of this game, right? 12:10 p.m. Central Time. Many people are working. They're not going to get an opportunity to watch this game live. They're going to be listening on the radio or following on the MLB app, the game day, trying to follow the box scores. It's a bit unfortunate that this is such a big game and it's being played in the middle of the afternoon on a Thursday. But what can you do? Because Cleveland's got to get ready to face the Minnesota Twins over the weekend. And we'll talk more about that series in a moment. But back to Lance Lynn. So the White Sox, if they're going to beat the Guardians, they need another big start from Lance Lynn. His last start against Cleveland in Cleveland was on August 19th, almost a month ago. He went five and two-thirds innings, allowed just five hits, one earned run, which was a solo home run, one walk, and six strikeouts. That's an outstanding line against the Cleveland Guardians. Unfortunately, the White Sox unraveled late in that game and lost five to two. Jim, I think that's the type of outing the White Sox need again from Lance Lynn. Do you think he can deliver? I think so. I mean, the Guardians offense, they're not world beaters still. I mean, Jose Ramirez is, and the White Sox have to do everything in their power to make sure that he's not the guy who decides the game. But um, the, the Guardians are winning close games uh, with late heroics and great bullpen work. And the the good news for the White Sox is those high leverage guys have been worked pretty hard. Class A and, and Karinchek have been uh, seen a lot of action, a lot of high leverage work over the last few games. So if they can grab a lead if they can you know uh make it a, a two-run game or something like that going into the back half of the game like Tony uh Terry Francona he's already not pulling out all the stops by uh pushing McKenzie back a day so he's not going to uh go after a win further I don't think he's going to work any harder than he has to I think that's a luxury he has and he's going to indulge it but um with the way the White Sox play like if there is a chance you know if it's tie or you know like the Guardians are um, you know, ahead by at the halfway point, um, you know, this is their opportunity to get, get the tiebreaker and to basically pick up two games in one day, or I should say, you know, basically three games in one day when it comes to the tiebreaker. And I can see them going for it. So I think, you know, Miguel Cairo on the other side has to be very prepared. We talked about this with Lucas Giolito when we thought he was starting, but it has to be managed like a postseason game. And we saw good bullpen work from the White Sox the last two days throwing eight scoreless innings between the, uh, the the two games against the Rockies. And I think, you know, the the workload has been pretty evenly divided. Nobody's overworked. There's the off day on Monday. So Miguel Cairo should have everybody available to him. If, uh, you know, Lynn is laboring and has to, you know, four innings looks like good enough based on um, pitch count and, and the quality of at bats and what the White Sox might have to do to uh, get uh, the Cleveland lineup off their scent. In that regard... For Miguel Cairo, he's managing on the opposite side of the field against Terry Francona. Terry Francona's got World Series rings. Terry Francona has won American League pennants with this Cleveland organization. Cairo is very much lacking in managing these types of games because he's still the interim manager. 
do you got confidence in him? Or I, I guess what will this game tell you about the staying power of Miguel Cairo being a future major league manager, whether that's with the Chicago White Sox or somewhere else? You know, I think you kind of have to have faith in Cairo. Um, if, if you're trying to find, um, you know, reasons for faith, there have been some games that he's been very uh, successful in managing proactively. Like there was the, you know, the, the bullpen work for both games has been great. Uh, there was that one, you know, sequence where basically he made every roster move or every lineup move he made in the ninth inning worked. I'm trying to remember what game that was, uh, but it was just basically like pinch hitting guys money ground all at the right time, using the right pinch runner for him. Pinch, you know, just it, it was a perfect sequence of uh, late game substitutions, and it was very on the ball and thinking along with them, like yes, 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 and the team. Were, oh, it was the uh, it, it was the Oakland series. Just there was a lot of great work uh, done in that uh, sequence. So it's uh, he's shown the capability. And, you know, like we talk about with postseason games and when I complain about October baseball and what I don't like about it, I think, you know, too much is boiled down to whether the managers push the right buttons versus whether the players beat each other. Like, you know, if the players won, because ultimately the battles are won in the field and that's where most of the responsibility lies, even if uh, you might like somebody else in that situation. So it's, you know... I, I will enjoy like watching Cairo at the top step, uh, looking very intense while Francona's in the other dugout twiddling his thumbs and looking like he's just like a, a fan in the second row. Um, I always like that, uh, um, or I, I like it and I'm frustrated by that like study and contrast where Francona's looking like he doesn't have a care in the world and uh, he's still like you know basically stealing the White Sox lunch. Uh, you know, throughout the course of the season. And, and you know, perhaps that belies, like, because, I mean, he's been through a lot of medical procedures himself, so maybe it's a very serene uh, position he's taking in order to try to calm his body down from the weights rebelling on him the number of, past number of years. So, yeah, I don't know. But, like, I, I think with Cairo, he's shown enough to where, like, when the game's gotten to crunch time, he's not afraid to make moves. And I think, really, that's all you can say. Like, you, you can say, like, he doesn't trust players to get out of it himself and he's not going to defer to players if he think he has a good idea. And I think that's really, you know, based on his narrow body of work and the sample size of one game we're looking at, uh, that's really all you can hope for is that he follows his gut and uh, doesn't try to, you know, not make or, or avoid making a move just because he feels like it might be the wrong one. Just whatever he does, like do it with conviction, it'll sort itself out. And if you lose, like... Uh, he's not going to be, no matter what happens this season, he's not going to be the one blamed. The White Sox, in my opinion, should be leading nine to nothing after the third inning and make life really easy for Miguel Cairo managing the rest of that game. I'd say nine to one because Lynn pitches to uh, Ramirez no. with the bases empty. No, no, <laughs> nine, nothing, no runs, Jim. I thought you were on the ribeye bandwagon. I thought you were on my bandwagon for this. Well, it's interview. after a two out error. That's fine, as long as it's unearned. <laughs> That's like a, a, dro a dropped uh, pop foul in Ramirez's at-bats before a solo shot. There you go. As long as it's unearned. No, I, again, it's a huge game, folks. And you know that listening to this, everybody knows it as well. So let's get pessimistic here for a moment, Jim. We know that the White Sox win. They're still alive. If the White Sox lose, is that it? All hope is lost. From our standpoint, yes. Um, from the White Sox standpoint, no. Because theoretically, 
you know, we they, they just saw the Guardians get swept by the Mariners and score one run, like over three games, you know, in the recent past. So they're still that team just as much as the White Sox are still the team that's beat the Mariners two out of three. They have to look at it that way. And, and theoretically, like a lot can happen in between series to where like all of a sudden there is a three-game gap in the standings uh, when the White Sox play the Guardians next. So they can't pack it in, but I think for... Like White Sox fans looking at those ads to uh, buy 2023 season tickets in order to better their positions for a 2022 postseason buying. Like I think you say, no, I'll wait. Yeah, I'll wait for a better deal to roll along. Uh, yeah, that that's not going to pressure me just because. Yeah, the 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 math says what it says, and also just the White Sox are you know even if Cairo's there. Uh, and, and pushing different buttons and having a little bit more success being on top of things the way Larusa, um, you know, his uh, more passive approach to managing games and people did not pay off. Like, it's still a flawed roster. Well, let's fingers cross whatever good superstitions that you have rooting for the White Sox to win. They really need a win on Thursday afternoon in Cleveland. And if they do win that game, their reward is that they get to go to Detroit which Tigers are not playing very inspiring baseball these days. And your pitching probables for this weekend series, Lucas Giolito is going to take the ball Friday night. This is a 6.10 p.m. Central Time start. He'll be going up against Matt Manning, and Matt Manning has been throwing the ball very well, so this is not an easy game for the White Sox. Saturday night at 5.10 p.m. Central Time, it'll be Johnny Cueto against Eduardo Rodriguez as Cueto is looking to bounce back from his last start in Oakland where he got beat up a bit. And on Sunday, this is a Sunday morning start. And by morning, I mean 11.10 a.m. Central Time. So before the NFL games get kicked off, you can watch a few innings of the White Sox. Michael Kopech will be on the mound against Drew Hutchinson. So even if the White Sox do win on Thursday, they cannot have a letdown series against the Detroit Tigers because after that weekend series in Detroit, they come home and they have three more games against the Guardians. And looking at the Guardians' perspective, after Thursday, five games in four days against the Minnesota Twins that it breaks down on Friday night at 6.10 p.m. Central Time. Saturday is a doubleheader. Game one will be at 12.10 p.m. Central Time. Then it'll be game three of the series and game two of the day will be Saturday night at 6.10 p.m. Central Time. Sunday, they'll play at 12.40 p.m. Central Time. And on Monday, they'll be playing at 12.10 p.m. Central Time. The Minnesota Twins totally let us down last weekend, Jim. In this five-game series in Cleveland, how much hope do you have that the Twins will have a better outing this time against the Guardians and help the White Sox out here? Well, theoretically, it can't be worse than you know getting swept and losing. Getting yeah, losing <laughs> what they did, but... Um, yeah, just the the Twins kind of seem, at least, you know, until the series against the Royals where they turn things around, they seem to snake bit as the Guardians seem charmed. So you would think some regression would be in, uh, you know, just in order, but it's a case where, you know, they're trailing now by, you know, five and a half games. And I could see a situation to where, like, if they lose a couple games, like, their fingers are just beaten off the windowsill. You know, they're just... They, they, they plummet off uh, to their, you know, their, their 2022 deaths and it just kind of packing in the rest of the way and, and certain players are skipped because they're hurt and just, I can, I can see that uh, collapsing on them in a hurry against a team that actually has like, um, 
something to play for. The Royals do not, the Guardians do. So I don't have high hopes for the Twins, but they theoretically, you know, they didn't get their, their, their pants beaten off. And they just, you know, we're seeing their very fragile pitching staff um, not being able to cover enough innings from the starters or the bullpen. And you just get this, you know, it, it's basically uh, uh, Yohan Duran, and that's about it, right? <laughs> it's just kind of like, uh, you know, when it comes to late innings, if, if he's not throwing, um, the everything seems up for grabs. And that's not really what you want for a team that's, you know, can only be counted upon to get five innings from its starters if they're lucky. Yeah, this, their season's on the line. I mean, Minnesota Twins fans, uh, I think for the most part, from what I've read this week, they're starting to pack it in. Like, they see the writing on the wall. Even though they had a, they were above nine games, they were nine games above 500 at one point this season. They were 43 and 34. They were six games ahead of the Chicago White Sox and three games ahead of the Guardians uh, at that stage of the season. That it's not looking good in Minneapolis, but this is their last ditch effort. And if they're going to catch Cleveland and still stay alive in the postseason race, this is their Alamo. Uh, even though they're traveling uh, for this series, they they need to really pull out all the stops here in these five games over four days. So I think the plan is White Sox win on Thursday. Twins sweep the Guardians, <laughs> win all five games in Cleveland, <laughs> and it sets up like a three-way tie or really close between three teams going into Tuesday when the Guardians visit the South Side. Like, that might be the best-case scenario for the White Sox. I think it's the best-case scenario for a lot of baseball fans, especially since the Central's been such a mess. And, you know, nobody really feels like uh, the winner is going to be a worthy American League playoff team. Just may as well root for the biggest mess possible. So I think the White Sox and Twins will have some fans of Team Entropy on their side. Uh, from this series against Detroit, I've, I've been keeping an eye on whether they're going to get to 500 runs this year, and I think they're going to. Uh, they need uh, 29 over their final 19 games, so basically like one and a half. And I just want to see the White Sox try to do what they can to prevent the Tigers from reaching that pace. <laughs> that would be hilarious if they don't get to 500 runs. It would be hilariously depressing for Tigers fans, but it would be funny to me. Yeah. It just And also, like, just... You know, the A.J. Hinch uh, remorse that White Sox fans feel like, eh, maybe not. Or yeah. maybe not specifically him. <laughs> you, know, you know, perhaps everybody's a, a um, an improvement over uh, Tony La Russa, But, like, when it looked like the White Sox were lining Hinch up, uh, yeah, there's part of me saying, like, well, he was terrible in Arizona. He had, like, a clubhouse mutiny in Arizona. And the... He didn't really have respect to the Astros clubhouse because they didn't listen to him when he smashed the monitors, if you believe his telling of the story or, you know, whoever's telling the story that was. Um, so, like, yeah, is he going to command a team that really needs an identity from the manager because the White Sox front office really doesn't, you know, do a whole lot to instill it on their own? Like, yeah, I, I, you know, I was skeptical of Hinch. So, you know, I guess this is the one, you know, um, you know, watching their, their season fail as spectacularly as they have, like makes me feel a little bit better in that assessment that, uh, you know, maybe Hinch wasn't the guy either. Vindication, Jim. Yes. <laughs> unprovable vindication is the best kind of vindication. <laughs> oh, well, that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, we'll be having all of the coverage for the 
big Thursday matchup between the White Sox and the Guardians. And fingers crossed the White Sox pull off that victory in Cleveland, even though it has not been a fun time for the White Sox at that stadium for many years now. But the White Sox need to find a way. They need to find a way to beat the Guardians on Thursday to keep the dream alive of reaching the postseason in 2022. And uh, also, we'll be having another watch party with our friends from the 108 for Friday night between the White Sox and the Detroit Tigers on playback. And look forward to seeing everyone there. Uh, you guys can watch the game along with us, and we'll be in a much there better be mood. Like a, yeah, there might be like a funereal sense, but either way, just... <laughs> You want to be with the ones you love, and I assume you love us. And we I, love you. I, yeah, hopefully. Uh, misery loves company, too. All that jazz. Yes. But, but look forward to see everybody there during our watch party on Friday night between the White Sox and the Tigers. But again, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can help support us at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content like the P.O. Sox mailbag columns that Jim writes as he answers your guys' questions, ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website, well, we have new Sox Machine swag. They're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2. You can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>